Hey, bookworms, do I have a deal for you? Right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series is available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. That's fasten your seatbelts and eat your fucking nuts. Flight Attendant Joe and I'm Just Here for the Layovers, available on ebook and paperback. And here's a little secret that I don't want you to tell anyone, all right? This is just between us right now. Each ebook is only $2.99. I know, I know. But I did not fall and hit my head. I know exactly what I'm doing. And each one is $2.99 right now. The Flight Attendant Joe series, available on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo. If you're looking for an inappropriate laugh, I've done all the work for you. All you have to do is sit back, read, and enjoy. If you enjoy listening to the Grounded with Joe Thomas podcast, please consider becoming a patron today. Visit www.patreon.com slash Grounded with Joe Thomas. There's multiple tier levels and each one of them comes with access to the Friday Debrief, which is a short little podcast episode I record on Friday mornings for patrons only. Of course, the podcast is always going to be free on all your podcast apps, but if you want to become a supporter and a patron of the podcast, you can. Just visit www.patreon.com slash grounded with Joe Thomas. Hey guys, Joe Thomas here. Are you like me? All summer long, I've been just anticipating and excited about the idea of traveling again. I just want to get out. I want to do something. I don't, when my husband asks me to go check the mail, I'm excited. Okay. I think just getting out of the house and doing something is the most exciting thing right now. I am so thrilled about the idea of being able to travel again that I'm planning my vacations out until 2025, just so I could look at them on a piece of paper and have something that I can look forward to. If you are right there too, and you're excited about travel, I want you to check out Robert and Edgar from The Getaway Guys. I have known Robert for over a decade, and he is very passionate about getting you the best deal for your vacation. They cater to airline employees, their parents, and airline retirees. And I don't know if you know this, but I am an airline retiree. And I'm going to be checking out their website when it's time for me to book my next vacation. They can get great low interline rates with no booking fee. No booking fee. Ladies and gentlemen, that means all that money that you would have been paying for a booking fee is just cash in your pocket, in your wallet, in your purse that you could spend when you're traveling and exploring and having the adventure of a lifetime. And LGBTQ plus travelers, I fall into that category as well. They're authorized sellers of Vakaya, Atlantis, and RSVP vacations. They're a one-stop shop. You could do everything on their website. Hotel, flights, car rentals, vacation packages. I want you to follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Getaway Guys Travel, and then go over to their website, thegetawayguys.com, and start looking for your next adventure because they're going to be there ready to book it for you. Again, that's thegetawayguys.com. Check them out now. Please do it. You deserve it. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 54 of Grounded with Joe Thomas. I'm really glad you guys are here today. This is a very special and important conversation. I asked my friend Renee Rivera to come on. I've known her for years. And let me tell you guys, I know a lot of people. I do not believe I know anyone as brave and strong as this woman. We first talked about what it was like growing up 
with a white mom and a Puerto Rican dad in the Midwest, and how now as an adult, she's really trying to incorporate the Puerto Rican heritage into her and her family's lifestyle. Then we talked about how do you survive and keep moving when a tragedy has happened that you can't even fathom. And she shares how 15 years ago, her six-month-old son Isaac was murdered by her boyfriend. Ladies and gentlemen, this is an incredible story, and I want to thank Renee for sharing it with us. We can all learn something from this powerful woman. Welcome, Renee, to the show. Of yep. course. Yeah, you're ready. Hey, everybody. Welcome, Renee, to the show. Renee, thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. I have been wanting to have you on this show since day one, and I do say that about a lot of people, but for you, it's <laughs> it's really true, and I have been hounding you a little bit, so thank you for finally saying, Jesus, I got to <laughs> shut him up. I'm going to come on the show. <laughs> It was perfect timing. Don't even worry about it. Oh, good, good. Well, first, I want to let everyone know that you and I have known each other for years. I emceed your wedding, and you edited, you were the editor for my first book. And, you know, when we were going back and forth when you were editing editing this Bible of a book, you would send me little quotes and little messages. And one day you just sent me this thing <laughs> that said, you are an asshole, and I love you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved it so much, I actually put it on the back cover of the book. I mean, it still rings true today. <laughs> it does. Oh, I'm not even offended by that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could be an asshole sometimes. But I, I, I want everybody to know that you and I um, are, are close enough to have a really serious conversation about this. Because if I'm not offended that you called me an asshole, we're good. <laughs> we're good. We're good. But um. Can you tell everyone who you are and what you do? Yeah, so my name's Renee. Um, I am a mom, a wife, and an ELL director for a charter school. What's ELL mean? ELL is English Language Learner. So I work with any kids that speak more than one language, um, usually their home language not being English. That's interesting because I think your brother-in-law sister kind of does the same thing. They do? Who? Yeah. Um, Tracy, I believe she works with um, English as a second language for elementary school students. You're telling me things I didn't even know. Okay. This, <laughs> yeah, because... <laughs> yes, because I want to go to school and get my bachelor's in English and I kind of want to like write, but also be an editor. And then I am teetering on the idea of education. At first I thought... I just want to work with adults who would, who are ESL, who would need, you know, who want to learn English as a second language. Yeah. But now that I know a couple people who teach element, cause I could never teach high school or middle school. Those are monsters. <laughs> I could never do that, but I could probably teach little kids too. Yeah. And I mean, I think once you have a grasp on the English language and you understand how hard it is to learn, I mean, then it makes teaching other people so much easier. Mm. Like coming from your background, it just kind of would, it would make sense. It would. Yeah. Cause I love reading and writing. And that's why at first yeah. I was like, should I get a history degree? And I was like, well, I love history, but my passion is reading and writing. So I should get an English degree. But, um, how long yeah. have you been doing that? Um, I have been doing that now for good question. Three years, four years. I was a kindergarten teacher for six years. 
Um, and then I guess this is my third year doing it. I tried to leave education to raise my son mm-hmm. and they wouldn't let me leave. <laughs> and then they were like, Hey, we need an ELL teacher. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what that is, but being a kindergarten teacher, I have taught many students, um, that English was not their native language. And so it was actually a really easy switch for me. And then I went back to school again, um, to get a certificate in it. It's a two year certificate. And once you have that, you can teach English anywhere in the world. So I figured it was, it was one that I could use in the future, even if I didn't stay in it long term. But then I just kind of kept growing the program at my school and became ELL director. And we're still growing, but we've done a lot of good things in the past few years. Well, that sounds very rewarding. And now you're getting me really excited to start back in school in January because now I'm like, <laughs> wow, this is going to be so exciting. I'm very excited about this. But let's get the show started. We're going to flip the script a little bit. Usually I do my let's get grounded game at the end of the episode. But today I felt like we should do it at the beginning of the episode because at some point this conversation could get a little heavy and I want to start it off fun and exciting. Okay, so let's get grounded. Please pick a number between I know it's a. I, I'm absurd with my excitement. <laughs> After this conversation, I'll be on the sofa for the rest of the day. So pick a number between 1 and 100. 15. 15. Oh, okay, can I tell you something? Okay, I have to write this what? down because I'm, I knew you were going to pick 15 when I was in the shower. And I know why, and we'll talk about it later, I think. So number 15. Perfect. What book... This is the perfect question for you. Holy shit. (laughs) What book, TV show, documentary, or movie has impacted your life? Oh, man. That's the perfect question for you. Repeat the question again, because I got to think about it. Okay. I got to think about it. No, no, it's all right. It's all right. What book, TV show, documentary, movie has impacted your life the most? should have added the most i guess oh my gosh that's hard i know well it's that's let's so get hard. grounded it's not easy uh, i know <laughs> but like let's so, get easy I, I know i just consider myself like a hodgepodge of everything i've ever come across in life so like every book and movie and tv show i've watched i've really taken something from um and of course i'm reading alicia key's book right now so i'm taking a lot from that but I'm going to say The Alchemist because I used it in my wedding vows. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they, man, if you have not read The Alchemist, The Alchemist, sorry. I have, I it's have. Just, it's such a higher thinking book mm-hmm. of just like, you know, things happen when they're supposed to happen and just kind of going with the flow of everything. and. Yeah. Oh man, that's a hard question. I mean, yeah. But I think that's, but yeah, that's not, that's a great answer because, (laughs) you know, I live in this world of, you know, things happen for a reason. I don't believe in a higher power that is like watching over me saying, don't turn that way. Don't turn that way. Um, but I do believe that things happen for a reason in life and we can take them, we can learn from them. They can destroy us. So I think that's a great book. And I didn't know you used that in your wedding vows. 
I did. Well, you were busy, so you I was slamming <laughs> my the, wedding. I, I was slamming the door <laughs> of people who were coming in late because you said you're only as MC. You are controlling all of this, so. Do not let anyone right. come in late. And the wedding, like if the wedding started, I don't even remember, <laughs> one o'clock or something. It, at one, uh, 101, I was like, you can't come in. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Like I'll when, send you the video later. When I, when I <laughs> am tasked with a duty, I am 100% on board with it. <laughs> Get it done. Get it done. But that's a good answer. So, <laughs> you know, you are half white and half Puerto Rican. And I'm very curious of what it was like for you growing up as a Latinx in the Midwest. Did, was it easy? <laughs> was it hard? Go, can you walk me through any of those feelings that you were having when you were younger growing up? Yeah. You know, I, I never realized that I was Brown until I was thinking about this earlier, maybe second grade. And it was around Thanksgiving time. And, um, we are outside and some kids are like, let's play pilgrims and Indians. We'll be the pilgrims and you be the Indians." And oh, I was shit. like, what? And they're like, well, cause you're Brown. And I was like, oh, what? <laughs> like <laughs> I was so confused and I didn't get it. Um, not to mention like, right. Native Americans, let's get that politically correct. Mm -hmm. But I was so confused about it. And I was like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I guess I am a different color than you. Like, what does that mean? And I mean, you know my dad, but he is just so over the top Puerto Rican. that it was just normal. Like, you know, hearing things like, oh, Puerto Ricans never give up. And, and oh, you're Puerto Rican, so you don't do that. Oh, you're Puerto Rican, so you're so beautiful like your grandma because you're Puerto Rican. But, you know, like, always, hey, you're Puerto Rican. Hey, you're Puerto Rican, like, all the time. And I was the only girl in my family, you know, two older brothers. So you know, my dad like felt this need to pressure me with like being a Puerto Rican woman, mm -hmm. but I didn't have any um, role models of what that looked like. And so I don't think I really grasped what it meant to be Puerto Rican, especially until I got older and I started trying to figure that out. And I think, I mean, as obviously as we go on in this conversation, I have looked for who I am in many different places. And, um, that was definitely a place that I wish I would have known more about growing up. Um, my dad and I get into a lot of conversations now of, especially in my, in my job that I'm in of like, why didn't you teach me Spanish? And he said, well, because your mom thought it was going to mess you up and you weren't going to be able to learn English, you know, well and do well in school. If I also taught you Spanish. But meanwhile, my dad was giving Spanish classes to kids at my school. Interesting. And I was like, like what? And he gave me an article about it. And I was like, um, hello, like that's a, that, you know, that feels like a very important part of my culture that I missed out on. So now since I've graduated another program, um, I decided this year I'm going to take Spanish classes. So I'm currently working on it just to kind of, feel more connected to my roots and I'm still very much exploring what it looks like to be a Puerto Rican woman. Because you are a Puerto Rican woman and you, do you feel like you've denied that part of you for decades? Because 
as you were growing up, it wasn't prevalent in the house. Like your dad was very Puerto Rican. And I could say that because I've met him. Um, <laughs> and he was teaching other people how to speak Spanish, but you were kind of like put into this bubble of no, no, you're not going to learn these things. Right. So it was like, it was basically like, Hey, you're Puerto Rican, but you need to fit into this white world. Because I mean, growing up, like, I mean, I remember the first time that I met a black person because we didn't have black people where I grew up at. Like nobody that was of color lived there. It was only white people. Like we were the the brown people. And my dad would get phone calls at 2 a.m. from the cops saying, oh, we arrested somebody that doesn't speak English. We need you to come down and translate for us. And it was like, yeah. And so like that. That was, I don't know. They didn't, I grew they didn't up even as have like, a, they didn't have a Spanish speaker on the, wow. No. Yeah, that's pretty wild. No. Yeah. And so like, I grew up like, yes, you're Puerto Rican, but you fit into this white world. And it wasn't until I moved to a larger city that it was like, it didn't matter anymore. You know, like when you're in a bigger city, there's lots of people of color and like, you're not the one singled out. So you can kind of start to explore what it looks like to be somebody else, you know, like, yeah, connect with that Puerto Rican side. And I remember in college, it was like, <laughs> like, Oh, we want to give you scholarships because you're Brown. And I was like, I am. Okay, cool. Like, yeah, give me those. So yeah, I do feel like I denied my Puerto Rican side for a long time. And, and, you know, I'm slowly like at the age of 33 figuring out, what it looks like now. Do you think that because you were raised in the Midwest, you know, there wasn't even a Spanish speaker on the for on the police force where in the town that you lived in and your mom was white and your mom's from the Midwest, your dad's from Puerto Rico. Do you think that your mom yeah. kind of kept you in that bubble to protect you? From oh, yeah. maybe I mean, like, sure. like hate messages or being, Oh, you're the Indian today because you're Brown. I mean, so when my parents got married, my grandpa, my mom's dad, never went to the wedding because he didn't condone an interracial relationship. Like, you know, that's the kind of family my mom grew up with. And no no bad, you know, bad vibes to my grandpa. God bless him. Rest in peace. But, I mean, he eventually wound up loving my dad. But when they first got together, like, that was unheard of. That was, like, he was not okay with that. And, and this was like, like the late, late seventies, early eight, like right on the, yeah. right on the cut of the eighties. So it wasn't like you're yeah. talking about, Oh, this happened in the fifties. This was like no. after I was born in like 10. Yeah, yeah. 79. Yeah. Yeah. Now, have you ever had talks with your mom about that? Like, why did you not let me embrace that? Or why didn't you let me learn Spanish or things like that? Or is it kind of <laughs> you conversation know? you don't have? I haven't. I just always blame my dad. Really? Why? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, definitely it's been recently that I'm like, hey, why didn't nobody teach me Spanish? Because also, I mean, I now know better of like, oh, kids learn another language best between birth and seven years old. So like, if they would have taught me then, it would have been second nature to me. And it's like, why didn't you teach me? Right. But my dad's always like, you know, he's he's kind of like the holder of Spanish. And so I'm like, why didn't you teach me? And, you know, he can blame my mom, but it's like, why didn't you tell her, like, that it was okay to teach me Spanish? And that, like, that's because in Puerto Rico, it's totally normal for people to speak English and Spanish. Oh, yeah, like, of course. It's, yeah. 
Yeah. And so it's like, I mean, Orlando, I know, or like Florida, kinda, Florida, basically Florida. Too. Yeah, 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 yeah. New York, Florida. Yeah. Right. Like all those places It's totally normal to learn both. And like, I mean, if you go to Puerto Rico now, like, yes, there's a lot of tourism and everything, but you don't have to know Spanish to get around there. Like it's, you know, so I don't know. I just kind of see my dad as like, he should have advocated for me and he didn't, but you best believe after this conversation, I'm going to go ask my mom why she would not let my dad teach. Well, well she's going to, so whatever. She's going to be, when she hears this on, on when it airs on Monday, she's going to be like, oh, I knew that question was coming. <laughs> yep. But, you know, that just shows you the mentality of people back in the day. And no, this, you know, I love your mother to death. And this is nothing against her, but mm -hmm. just the mentality of, you know, oh God, you know, if you try to teach her Spanish, she won't even learn English because people didn't realize that children's right. brains, you know, at that young age can really pick up a language just like we pick up English when we're a kid. It's like right. second nature to learn a second it's language. It's just more vocabulary. Now you have a child. Are you going to raise him to be bilingual? We are already on our way. And I actually, he's enrolled in a school right now that does teach Spanish. And, um, so he, I mean, he comes home like saying some Spanish words and I'm like, you better slow down because you're going to know more Spanish than I do. <laughs> well, so, of course he is. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm in, um, you know, I'm in Spanish classes now and I'm trying to use it with him and everything because I do want, I mean, he's only 25%, but you best believe he's going to own that 25% Puerto Rican and just go with it. And I just, I want him to have that skill. Like it's such a skill to have these days. And I just want to be able to give that to him and whether he uses it or not, you know, that's up to him, but I want to at least try to give it to him at an early age. Now, do you think, cause it sounds very important to you that he is bilingual and no Spanish. Do you think you're more invested in it because you were not allowed to learn that at that age? Oh, a hundred percent. Do you percent. And like, I always tell my kids at school, I'm always like, you speak two languages. Do you realize that you get to talk to double the amount of people than I do? Like, it just opens up a whole new world. I can't have in-depth conversations with some of the people I look up to because I don't speak their language. Mm -hmm. Like, being able to give that to him and, like, open that door for him, I just think it's a responsible thing to do, I guess. Oh, yeah. No, I, if I had a child that was two years old, one years old, like s starting to learn how to speak, I would I would immerse them into Spanish. Absolutely. Because it is, de you know, the United States doesn't have a official language. And right. I know they tried to make English the official language. Um, <laughs> the people who don't like people who speak Spanish in public. <sighs> I'm not even going to go down that road today because like, I'm in a go good mood. I'm in a great mood this morning. <laughs> But I think it's so important that you do know that more than one language, like I want to learn Vietnamese just so when I go get my pedicure, I know what the fuck they're talking about. Cause I know they're talking about my feet and my legs. And I'm like, bitch, I know what you're saying, but I don't because I have to assume that's just a joke. Um, I'm ridiculous. Now, what are you doing today to incorporate more of your Puerto Rican heritage besides learning a language into your house? Oh man. So this year I learned how to make pasteles, which is like a traditional Puerto Rican dish that is made at Christmas every year. And it's like, it's a two day process or like an entire day process. 
and they are hard to make. My mom has said she tried to make them in the past and like completely ruined them. <laughs> They're like tamales, um, yeah. like Mexican tamales. But I mean, it was a whole ordeal. Like I had to research different recipes and go to like four different uh, Hispanic stores to try to get all the ingredients. And my dad came in and he did it with me. And it was just really great to, I don't know, do something that you know your ancestors have done for, you know, decades. Like, I don't even know how long, probably centuries. But my dad, like, had never really done that. And he was like, oh, it's a woman thing, you know, because my dad. Um, But he's like 80, so yeah, that's his mentality, yeah. Yes, yes. And so it was, uh, like, I'm trying to do things like that. And I want to take my husband and my kids to go to Puerto Rico and, and see the places that, you know, my dad grew up and, and the things that he's told me and I pass those things to them and mm-hmm. just really, really embrace it and be proud of it and, and know where I come from. That's so special. And I think that, do you, okay, rewind. Do you think, not me, it's not mm-hmm. about me. Do you think that embracing this Puerto Rican heritage will connect you even more to your dad? Oh, it already has. Okay. I mean, when we made pasteles together, like, <laughs> I mean, my dad was so, so happy. And, I mean, happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Um, we are calling it Hispanic and Latinx Heritage Month just to try to be more inclusive this year at my school. Mm-hmm. But my dad, we're having like a virtual night for all our families coming up this week. And, and my dad recorded a video of himself making tostones so that families can cook alongside us. And like, just seeing him so yeah he loved it oh my gosh yes (laughs) i'll send that to you later too but (laughs) he was just so so proud to like share that and he i mean right if you know puerto ricans like they are just proud like they are proud of who they are and proud of their culture and want to share it and are loud and want to tell everybody about it like yeah, and so the more things I do to, like, connect my Puerto Rican roots, the more my dad's like, oh, my God, I have a Puerto Rican kid that, like, wants to speak Spanish and do Puerto Rican things. Right, because, you know, I'm friends with your brother, and he's whiter than me. <laughs> so, right. so and yeah, he's the so, white one. Right, like, when I'm around him, I'm like, you have the Spanish last name, but I'm, I'm way more Puerto Rican than you, only because I lived in yeah. Florida for 25 years. <laughs> Right. And, and I, I think that. too, like with us growing up, you know, since we are like mixed, it's definitely been like a journey for me to figure out that Puerto Rican side of me. And I've had to do a lot of work for it. And I just, I don't think that was like, I, I don't want to say as important to them, but like, I know Matthew always says, um, you know, people say, oh, I'm not Puerto Rican because I'm not brown. And so it's like people have told him what he is. And he's just kind of been like, oh. And so, like, that's, that's, you know, that's like a whole, it's a whole other conversation for a different day. But but I definitely have been the one that's, like, most proactive about trying to figure out my Puerto Rican side. And then one is being told he's not Puerto Rican enough because of his color. And my other brother is very brown. And so he, like, has to fight the racial side of it of, you know, oh, a brown guy fitting into a white world. Right. 
we're a very complex family. <laughs> all three of you are so, all, all the three siblings are so different. And, but yes. I will say this, um, I know all three of you. Um, I definitely know you and your older brother, Matt, more. Well, your, uh, your brother, they're both older than you, but you are definitely yes. more of the person that I would think who would stand up and say, nobody's going to tell me who I am. Um, I don't care what I look right. like because I know who I am and now I'm embracing it. And I, I'm sure that is such a great feeling for you as a, as independent growth. Yeah. But I mean, it's a constant process, right? Like I can't just, you don't just stop one day and you're like, okay, I know who I am. Or maybe you do. Maybe that's what happens when you're 80 and you just say F everybody and then you're just living your own life because you know who you are. But for me, I'm very much still like trying to figure out just who I am. And I mean, I think it, it evolves throughout life. Like I thought I knew who I was and then I became a wife and then I became somebody different. And then, you know, I became a mom again and, and then I changed again. And then, you know, a mom of a babe, a newborn is different than a mom of a toddler. And so you like constantly evolve. And are constantly like, who am I now? Who am I now? So, yeah. You know, you brought <laughs> up, no, that, that's so perfect. Because I, I personally think that we spend our entire lives trying to figure out who the fuck we are. Like if oh, yeah. you're, if you're like 40 and you're like, oh no, I got it all figured out. I'm like, <laughs> you have nothing figured out. <laughs> Figure, right. you, you're going to figure it out your entire life. That is the process. That's the whole purpose. And you brought right. up that um, you're reading Alicia Keys book. And, you know, I listened to the audio book when I was on <laughs> vacation. And we're going to dip back and forth into Alicia Keys because I'm obsessed with her right now. Okay. But in the book. I'm not done with the book, though, okay, so well, don't spoil it. No, I'm not going to spoil it. But in the, I will say this <laughs> about the book. In the book, you know, she is, she's half black and she's half Italian. And her mm -hmm. husband at some point asks her, when are you going to embrace your Italian heritage? And she's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you don't, you don't really embrace your in Italian heritage. And that's what I'm thinking of when you're talking about, like, you've woken up to this, Hey, I'm Puerto Rican and I'm going to learn a much as much about it as I possibly can. And you know, when I found my biological father a couple, like three years ago, I found out that my, that side of the family comes from Naples and Italy. Like my yeah. great, his father came from Naples. So I'm not that far off, but I grew up in a, I grew up as a French kid, like my, cause I only grew up with my mom. And so I knew nothing about, I know I can make a good spaghetti sauce, but that's it. <laughs> So I'm right there with you, like with this growth of like, wow, I would, I really want to enjoy, I want to learn about my Italian side of my, yeah. my DNA. So I think that's really cool. Congratulations on that. Yeah. I think, I think it helps you like, right. Try to figure out who you are a little bit more when you're like, oh, there's more people that are kind of like me. And like, when you find that sense of, you know, identity, like there's comfort in that. Yeah, because we're not just one thing. And when you talked, when you when you brought up your brother Matthew, and you said like people are like, "Oh, you're not brown, you're white." It 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 like it imprinted on him. So now he probably doesn't even have an urge to understand the Puerto Rican heritage because for his entire life he's been like, "Well, I'm white. Why would I want to learn? Why why would that that does would it interest me?" So that makes sense to me. But he is very Puerto Rican. <laughs> in his in our yes. 
I'm not. <laughs> like, gonna, I don't want to tell his I'm story. Not, I'm, no, no, story I'm not. Tell. One time, I will say this before I move on. We were in the car one day, and he's like, "I said I can have a conversation with anybody about anything," and he goes, "Probably not me." And then I just rattled off like five things that could take up an entire. And he's like, "Oh wow!" I was like, "Yeah, don't." Don't test me. Um, all right, let's get back to you. So a, a little while ago, when I asked you to tell everyone who you are, you, you named off three things. You named off in this order, mom, wife, and then teacher. Um, what does it mean to you? And here we go. This is the transition. What does it mean to you? Oh, yeah, I know. What does it mean to you to be a mom? Oh, man. Selfless. That's like the first word that pops to my mind, right? Like, I feel like moms know. I mean, to be a mom is to be completely selfless and and give your entire being to, I mean, the hope of, I mean, whatever, whatever hope a parent holds. But for me, it's like a hope of a future. To instill your values into someone who will grow up um, and continue on the generations kind of thing, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, right. We always want to be better than our parents. Like, and that's what parents hope for. Like, I hope that when I have a child, they know better than me. They do better than me. And being a mom, like, I hope that I can raise a tiny human that can be even better than I am. And I think I'm a pretty good person. So, like, trying to instill that in a tiny human to hopefully give the world something in the future. You know, one of my fears of having kids, and now I'm way past it, I, you know, my uterus is dried <laughs> up like a raisin. But, you know, one of, and I came from a very bad beginnings. So one thing that I always thought was, God, I can't, I don't want to have a kid because I don't want to fuck up that kid. Like I was fucked up because in my mind, I have been imp like programmed to think you probably would not be the best parent, even though statistics show I'd probably be a good parent because I know what happened to me was bad. Do you ever fear like, Oh God, I don't want to fuck this kid up. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I think every parent does. And I mean, of course, from where like I come from an educational background. So, you know, we're constantly reading books on like, don't tell your kid no, don't tell your kid that, you know, the last one, the last thing we've been working on is uh, telling a kid you hurt my feelings and like making a kid feel like your feelings are their responsibility. Right. And like, so like even things like that that you don't think of all the time, but like we as parents are trying, I mean, my husband and I as parents, are trying to constantly better ourselves so that we don't F up our kids. Like right. we're reading, we're, we're trying to do better. We're following him along in his growth and development and making sure that, you know, we're checking off the milestones. We're doing everything we should be doing. We, you know, we didn't do TV for the whole almost first two years. I think around 18 months, we started letting him watch things every now and again. But like, we're trying our hardest to be parents. And I'm not saying the perfect fight any means, mm -hmm. but we're trying really hard to be good parents for our kids. Right. To well, not mess him up. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. I know you and I know that you and your husband are doing the best job. So the best we can do the best you, well, the, you know, in this day and age, the best you can do <laughs> is more than what a lot of other parents are doing. <laughs> yes. So that's good. And but, I'm, 
Now, let me ask you yes. this, because he's, he's, oh, no, you said but, but what? Say it. Well, no, like, you know, from my point of view, it's like a lot of people are going through a lot of things and a lot of people are trying to do their very best right now. And it might not look the best to everybody else. But I mean, just in pandemic time, times alone, people are trying their best. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, no. I don't mean pan- this year. It, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. This year there's <laughs> almost no rules. It's like, you just try to get through to 2021, but I was just talking yes. in general, like, like yes. just the fact of like the fact that your kids too, and you're like, I want them to be bilingual. You've already done like 90% more than <laughs> a lot of other parents. So congratulations on that. I hope you guys, Thanks. I hope you guys are patting each other on the back for that. I do want to ask you this, though, because my husband and I were talking about this the other day when we talk about our imaginary children that we don't have. How old <laughs> do you think it is acceptable to give a child a cell phone? Oh, and how old do you think it is acceptable for a kid to be on social media? Man, okay, funny story, first of all. I'm super old school about this. I have always been like, when you're 16 and driving, you can have a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But my nephew, who is 13, um, is he 13 now? I think so. But he was, like, having this conversation about social media. And I was like, oh, like, we're there already? And, I mean, I think for every family, it's different. Um, for us, it will probably, I mean, my kid will probably get one of them, you know, cell phones that, like, you can only call so many people. Mm-hmm. Whenever he starts to do activities that I'm not around. Like, I want him to be able to have access to call me whenever he needs to call me. Maybe I'll get him, like, a beeper. Now, that's, I'm glad that you said that because, you know, a lot of parents, a beeper, then they're going to think he's a, he's a 25% Puerto Rican white guy drug dealer. I mean, you do live in the Midwest. But um, I find this so interesting because you said, you specifically said, like, I want him to be able to contact me whenever he wants. And that was part of the conversation my husband and I were having because we were thinking, like, I remember when I was 13, 12, 13, 14 years old and I was in school, I went to school and I did not hear from my parents unless someone died or I was sick and I had to go home. Right. And today it's <laughs> but like, that's not like all these that's kids not the way it is anymore. But why? Like, no, if I had a kid, I would be like, you're not, first of all, I would not let my kid have a cell phone until they were 16 or social media. <laughs> Cause I mean, but also like, I mean, it would come with caveats, right? Like you can't call me during class. You need to be in class when you're in class. But if I forgot to pick you up at five o'clock, then you can call me. Like, you know, those kind of things. And social media, I mean, right, it's like drugs. Like, tell oh, yeah. your kids about it. Tell tell them the rules. Let them try it. I, okay, don't try drugs. Didn't say that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> like, this is going so far out of control. No. <laughs> no, but, like, you, if you try to hide it from them, you're just going to try to find another way to it. So, you know, like, under supervision, allow social media. Like, oh, you can have a Facebook account with your friends as long as I have the password, too. Like, you know, being open about it, having those conversations. Why is social media bad? Why do things happen? Like, you have to be honest with your kids. And, you know, this is all in my ideal world because I don't have a teenager right now. And everything that you think isn't going to happen when you're a parent, of course, happens at some point. And you're like, I thought I would never do this. But with my nephews, you know, I just feel like, if they 
let, you know, have those conversations. Don't try to hide it from him. Don't be like, oh, you're a baby. Because in his mind, he's not a baby. Like he is a kid that goes to middle school with other kids that do have cell phones and do have social media accounts. Like it's just having those conversations. You know, it's the same thing. You know, I grew up when I was in school, I was allowed to buy two pair. I was allowed to buy a pair of jeans and a pair of corduroys. And those had those two pairs of pants had to last me the entire school year. So you can imagine by February <laughs> what those pants and you know, all yeah. the kids would always come back in January with new clothes because it was Christmas and they had oh, new yeah. clothes. And yeah. I was like wearing the same shit, hand-me-downs from my friend and stuff. And in my I remember I was picked on all the time. And I I think about like, oh, today, if it was 2020. I would be picked on if kids would be picked on if they did not have a cell phone. Right. So there is that juggle of, you know, yeah, I want to protect you from the bullies on, because that's why I wouldn't want my kid on social media because on social media, human beings lose all sense of anything. They're just monsters. And so I would want to protect my kid from Mm -hmm. that, but also think like, well, I don't want you to be picked on in school and people think we're poor. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'd be like, so I don't know. That's it's, it's such a, it's interesting question, but I wanted to hear from you who is a teacher who deals with children all the time and someone who will eventually have a child who's going to be like, mom, I want a cell phone and you can't stop me. I mean, yeah. I I mean, we were talking about this the other day of like, we have kindergartners that have cell phones and now that we're on zoom, like, oh yeah. And we're on zoom and they'll be on their phone while we're in a class and we have to like, Oh yeah. So, so kindergartners are what five, <laughs> five, five, six. Yeah, five, six. Yeah. They have a like an but iPhone like or like a flip home. phone. No, like like a like an iPhone or Android. I can't. But yeah, like I mean, because the parents at home they're like, oh, you need a cell phone, right? Most places don't have landlines anymore, so it's like, oh, oh you're yeah. gonna have a cell phone. So like, yeah, there's a lot of like intricacies that go into it. So it's like, well, if you leave the house with your cell phone, then how does, how does the kid talk to anybody or call anybody if there is an emergency? Wow. See, this is why I have this podcast because I never thought (laughs) of that because yeah, nobody has landlines anymore. And if your eight year old is a latchkey kid and you're at work and they get home, there's no cell phone and somebody's knocking on the door. Hi, I'm selling candy bars. Let me in. I'm 55 and I'm creepy. You need to be able to call somebody. Yeah, I never thought of yeah. that. That's a good point. I know. That's a good I point. mean, some people now have like house cell phones, though. Like, this is a cell phone that stays at the house. Because, you oh, know, once you yeah. get into those family plans, like, you can get like 15 phones under one plan. Oh, see, now that's a good idea. I just have this vision because I know how I feel on social media and I'm almost 48. I had to delete Facebook because I was like, this is so toxic. It is making me Me depressed. Yes, you did it the day before me. I'm so proud of you. And you're still off, right? Are you still off? You know what? I have. Yes. Me too. It's been so good for my mental health and especially everything, uh, everything happening now. Like I'm still on Instagram. I love Instagram. I Mm -hmm. feel like it gives you like you can still feel connected to a community but it doesn't feel as toxic as facebook and i know they're owned by facebook so but yeah yeah but i don't know instagram i feel like i you know get a pic of people that i see and like the content that i want to see and facebook it's just the never-ending scrolling oh like yeah 
it's so toxic. My new, my new pushes now are register to vote, vote, get off Facebook. Um, Cause I know people who are like, oh yeah, I've thought about it, but I just don't use it a lot. I'm like, no, 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 no. You have to delete your account because that's how, that's how you make a point. Like if you keep your account. Just delete it off your phone first. That's what I did. Is that what like, you did? Cause that's what yeah. I did. I deleted Facebook yeah. and messenger off my phone. I gave people ample time on Facebook. I had one bitch and it's a guy. So I could say that he, and he's gay. <laughs> so that's how I speak. But he was like, you don't have to tell everybody you're leaving. And I was like, no, no, I'm giving everyone a, I'm giving everyone like, follow me on Instagram. Cause I'm leaving and I'm not coming back. And instead of deactivating, <laughs> I was so committed to this that I, I deleted it. And they put up a fight. They were like, are you sure? Do you really want to go here? Do you want to go? You can come back in 30. Oh, yeah. I was like, I'm never coming back. I don't need you. So I'm so glad yeah. you did that too. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, so, oh, I don't, all right. So I've told you this many, <laughs> many times and I'm not going to cry, but I usually do. Um, you are one of the, sh I'm going to cry. <laughs> You are one of the, you are one of the strongest survivors I've ever met. And when I say that, I'm not just blowing smoke up your ass. Like I, out of all the people that I know, you are the one person that I always think, well, if Renee can get through her life so far at 33, I can get through anything that's thrown at me. And you know, I think the same thing about you. So, oh God, go, yeah, no. I mean, Okay, we won't get into that, but seriously. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. But what I want to talk to you about is your child right now is not, is your second child. And yeah. Yeah. And um, I bet you a lot of people <laughs> don't say that correctly, do they? No. Yeah. I have thought very carefully almost with every word that's about to come out of my mouth. So <laughs> trust me. So, but. Um, your first born, his name was Isaac and yes. he was murdered. And I would like to see if you could go back to the, that day when you came home and you found him unresponsive in his crib. Yeah. Okay. So, um, set the scene here. I was 18 at the time, freshly just turned 18 when I had Isaac, um, his I had asked his dad to set up, uh, what is it called? Money. <laughs> like, <laughs> what is that called? Like, like child support. So I like wanted him to set up child support because we weren't married and I wanted to make sure that like Isaac was taken care of. And he said, absolutely not. We ended our relationship. That was that. So I kind of, dated a little bit um after I had Isaac which was like a whole weird thing in itself but um I definitely did not really like go anywhere ever so Isaac what Isaac and I moved to from out of my mom's house into and God bless my mom she went through labor delivery with me and everything she like was basically a second parent for Isaac mm -hmm. and but Isaac and I moved to our own apartment and I started dating this guy named Josh and I was seeing a therapist at the time. I mean, I was in juvie when I was 16 and had to see therapy, but that's a whole nother story for a whole nother day. 
so I was still in therapy. And my therapist was like, hey, I know you're a mom and everything now, but like, remember you're 18 too. And you still need to like have friends and do things with your friends. And I was like, okay, you know, I get what you're saying. And so one night in December, um, Isaac was six months old. A couple of my girlfriends said, hey, there's a house party tonight. We're going to go to it. You should come. And I was like, yeah, you know, I would, but I don't have anybody to watch Isaac. And the guy I was dating at the time, Josh, was like, oh, I'll watch him. I'm at a friend's house right now. You know, I'll come over later. Like, Isaac will already be asleep and everything. You can go out. It'll be fine. And I was like, okay, like, you know, right? I've heard people do this. They put their kid to sleep and leave him with a sitter. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they go somewhere. Right. And so perfectly I did. Perfectly normal. Like the perfectly whole, normal. Perfectly normal. Yes. Um, and so, you know, Josh got there and I was like, okay, you know, he just ate, he had a bottle. I put him to bed. He's good to go. My girlfriend's were already over there. So I was like, you know, we're going to go. We left and went to this house party. I hated it the whole time. I like remember sitting on the steps, just like so annoyed because right. Like I was 18 and already had a kid and that's my, like a job. And my kid is my responsibilities. And I'm sitting here with a bunch of underage drinkers and college kids and I'm just like, why am I here? Like, I don't want to be here. This isn't fun for me anymore. And so I was just really uncomfortable. And um, we finally, you know, my friend's like, okay, we'll go back to your apartment. And so we go back and, you know, all of us girls go inside and, and I went in the bedroom and, and uh, I put like, Isaac was laying face down in, in like a pack and play. And so I put my hand on his back and, and I didn't feel him breathing. And I look over and Josh is in bed. He's sleeping. And I was like, what in the world? And I flipped him over. Like, I, I don't know what I did first, turn on the light or flip him over. And I flipped him over and his lips were blue and his face was pale. And I just started screaming. And I was like, Isaac's dead. And, uh, and my friends were like, what do you mean? And I was like, you guys, Isaac's dead. And somebody called 911 and they, I mean, I remember, you know, the operator was like, put him on the floor. And so we put him on the floor and, oh, this part's going to get me, sorry. No, it's okay. um, they, they said, you know, you need to give him mouth to mouth. And I remember starting it and I like felt his last breath, like escape. And I just like knew and oh my God. So Josh was like, oh my God, what happened? And, and um, you know, my, my girlfriend's like, I couldn't do, I couldn't give him CPR because I felt that breath and I just oh, lost it. And so, you know, one of my girlfriends took over and she started and then like the next whirlwind, I don't even like, I have no idea what happened or how it happened or anything after that like it was just a blur they like ambulance people paramedics that's what they're called ran in and grabbed him and left like I didn't get a chance to go with them and I was freaking out and I was like why didn't I get to go and you know they like they were gone and um so my girlfriends were like get in the car come on we're going to the hospital and the hospital thankfully wasn't that far away but they drove and the whole time you know I was just freaking out and and we get to the hospital and, um, oh man, things I haven't thought about in 15 years. Um, we get to the hospital and they, you know, they, they tell me like, he didn't make it. 
and and they take me in the room that he's in and you know his little pajamas are unbuttoned and they had been doing CPR and he's just on this table and I was by myself like they didn't let my girlfriends back and I remember calling my mom somewhere along the way and I just kept telling her Isaac said Isaac said Isaac said and and somewhere along the line she got to the hospital and and my dad did and everything and and um I remember this this priest came to me and I was sitting outside in the hallway just like in a ball and he said well was he at least baptized no and like to the day to the day that that has stuck with me and like oh it makes me so furious that he said that but um he was <laughs> but it just pissed me off that he even said that that's, and, what, that's the first thing so, he said oh yeah oh, yeah and i was i was i you know unless you have been through something really traumatic i don't think people understand how much your brain and your body like shut down mm-hmm. like it just goes into protective mode and like oh it's it's crazy but that one thing like just stuck in my brain like I can't tell you who came to the hospital when I can't tell you you know any what anybody looked like what anybody like any details about anything but I can tell you the priest said that to me and I was so mad about it but, um, I mean, yeah, and then I remember, like, my mom came and, and you know, this was her first grandbaby. And, uh, sorry, mom, I know I'm probably making you ball right now, but it was her first grandbaby. And I just, I looked in the room and she was holding him in the rocking chair and loving on him. And, and I, I don't know why, but after Isaac died, I never picked him up again. I, I don't know that, I, I don't know. I just, felt like that wasn't my child anymore like I didn't feel him there and it didn't feel right to me so I never did and I just remember my mom holding him and I was like I wish I was strong enough to do that right now but I'm not and um so then like I mean the next few days I guess I don't know it was crazy um you know Josh kept telling me oh we're gonna get through this we're oh, gonna, okay. We're so gonna... he still hadn't. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm interrupting. Continue. I apologize. You're interrupting my story. Oh, no, I know it's too much. It's too much. Maybe I'm doing no. it to give you a break to breathe. <laughs> no, but um, so Josh was done, like, like I mean, his parents have like a dog kennel, and they took our dogs for a few days. My mom's dogs for a few days, and I remember. I think like our whole family stayed at my dad's tiny two bedroom apartment. I don't, like I said, my memory is completely gone from around those times. It's mm-hmm. just like little snippets. Um, PTSD has a great effect on memory. There's lots of research out there. Go do it. But, Absolutely. Um, so, <laughs> so Josh is telling me we're going to get through this. We're going to have more kids. We're going to move on. You know, our dogs were at his parents' house. Da, da, da. And meanwhile, like, I didn't know, I, you know, my brain, I lost a kid. I'm 18. Nothing, nothing really made sense to me, but. Meanwhile, like the cops are calling me. They're like, you know, we're going to do an autopsy on your kid. Hey, will you come in for questioning? Like, that's weird. Like what, you know, why, like, why are they questioning us so much? What's happening? And, uh, I remember one night my family and I were at Chili's and this was like a couple days after it happened. Nobody wanted to cook. Right. So like, we're just having this sad, pathetic meal at Chili's where nobody's smiling. Like nobody's zombies, talking. Right. I'm, yeah. Oh, like zombies. And I remember thinking like, 
oh my God, I'm never going to smile again. Mm, right. <laughs> and like, I really believe that. And I get a call from the police department. And they're like, hey, Renee, we, you know, can you come in to, to the police department? And I said, you know, I'm at dinner right now. Is it okay if my mom and I come in in like 30 minutes? And, you know, they said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. You know, come in whenever you can. So I remember we finished and mom, mom took me to go to the police department. And right when you walk in, there's like a glass booth. And then there's like two sides of waiting rooms, right? So like if you go to the left, there's a waiting room. If you go to the right, there's a waiting room. Okay. And so we go in, we're like, hey, you know, we're here to talk to the police, whatever. Okay, so we go on the right side and we sit down and we were waiting for like hours and nobody was coming to get us. And we're like, okay, you know, this is kind of annoying. And I think I had already like given them a statement of what had happened that night. Um, and so like, I don't know, it was, it was normal to me that I was going into the police department. I thought, you know, yeah, a kid died. Like, that's obviously suspicious, but like, you know. Josh had said something about he was coughing up blood, so it was probably SIDS related. That's what I was thinking. And uh, so finally, like, after a couple hours, we're like, hey, we've been here a really long time. Um, what, you know, what's going on? And we look over to the west side of the waiting room and we see Josh's mom. And we're like, what? Like, why, why is she here? So then I remember going back, they finally were like, okay, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll get you. And so detective Kim and got us and he, he took us back to his office, like, you know, decorated with his family pictures. Like it was his office. It wasn't like an interrogation room. And, uh, we sat down on one side of the desk and he was on the other side and, and he looked at us and he said, uh, Josh just admitted to killing Isaac. Oh my God. Okay. And I mean, I, I looked at him and I said, what? Like, and I think mom immediately started crying. I don't know if she like knew, like maybe had a suspicion. I don't know. Um, but I, I was so shocked mm -hmm. that that hadn't crossed my mind. Like people, somebody being like that evil, like it, it did not register to me. Like I didn't, I didn't get it. And, I, I said, what do you mean? And I want it like immediately, you know, want to know more. Well, come to find out um, what had happened according to him was that, you know, apparently Isaac had woken up at some point and, and Josh had apparently been drinking when he was at a friend's house. And so uh, he was, you know, he was a little drunk and I believe his, his blood alcohol content was like insane when they tested him the next morning. So I don't even know what it was that night. Um, and I mean, he probably he drank more while he was at your house. It. Yeah. He was probably drinking I, the whole but time. I don't think I had, I don't think I had alcohol. So I think he, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't have it in the house. Um, surprisingly, I was a really responsible 18 year old mom, but I don't, I don't know when he did. I don't, I don't know. Right. And so, um, and that very well could have been, but apparently Isaac woke up and, and he tried to take him to the kitchen to make him a bottle. And he like accidentally hit his nose on a cupboard door. Okay. And then he said, he took him and he said, Isaac just wouldn't stop crying. And so he took him to the living room and then he accidentally dropped him on my coffee, like on the corner of my coffee table. Okay. And then, 
he said he still wouldn't stop crying. And he wouldn't take the bottle. And he, I'm, I'm not even going to say accidentally or purposely. I don't know. Um, but he was dropped into his crib and hit the back of his head on the crib, which caused blunt force trauma. Okay. Um, which is ultimately what resulted in death. Okay. So Josh said that he put him in the crib and then went to like watch a movie and Isaac just stopped crying. So he figured he went to sleep and then, you know, he went to sleep later. And I mean, that's it. Like that's, that is what he said happened. And Isaac obviously cannot tell us what happened. And if there is a higher power, then he, they know what happened. But Josh is ultimately the only person that knows what happened. And that is what he has said. Went down. And so, I mean, after years of court proceedings, um, he was sentenced with child abuse resulting in death. It's not murder. It's child abuse resulting in death. Um, and got a 30-year-to-life sentence. He will be up for parole in 23. Um, in 2023? Uh-huh. Okay. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a lot to take in. Um, before, Where do you want me to go from there? Well, before, well, I have a lot of questions. <laughs> before <laughs> I move forward, I do want to say this is why you are the bravest and strongest human being that I know. Because <laughs> you can you. come on this show and you can um, share this. And, I, you know, I've always wanted you to come on and talk about this, but I've been on the fence because I didn't want to exploit you. Um, but I do believe a story like this is so impactful for people because people need to hear that when something horrific and mind and something that happens to them that is so out of the realm of even thinking that could happen happens, how how they have to continue moving on, how you have to get up. And that is my question. Right. That's my first question for you is you're 18 years old. This happens to you. You're still a child. Um, yeah. How do you move forward? What in your brain says, I'm never going to smile again, but I have to continue going on. I mean, point blank, my family, like, oh, look, my family will get me to cry over anything else more. Um, I mean, my family has always been so supportive. And I mean, I like I said, when all this happens, like, there's five of us total. My parents are divorced, by the way, you know, have been divorced since 2001 um, or 2000. I don't know, a long time now. But when all this happened, like, we were all staying in a tiny two-bedroom apartment. Like, it didn't matter that my parents were divorced. Like, I needed them, and they were all there. Right. And, I mean, I, you know, at the time, I always remember, like, thinking, oh, this is rock bottom. Like, right, no, nothing matters. Every movement you make throughout the day is, like you said, like a zombie. 
I have no feelings. Like all my feelings are gone. I was physically, mentally exhausted. I mean, oh my God, just looking, (laughs) looking back on it now, it's like, how did you get through that? Holy crap. Like, it was a blur. I don't like, I was talking to my husband one day and I was like, I don't even know where I lived after Isaac died. No idea. Like I know that my mom cleaned out my apartment because I didn't want to go back. And I have no, I, I, I guess I lived with my dad until I moved in with my girlfriend. Like I, for a whole month of my life, I have no idea what happened. And I mean, that's what, that's what trauma will do to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I refuse to, I refuse to drink. I refuse to like do drugs. I was like, this is, these are real hard feelings and I need to feel this. And I think part of it was like punishing myself, right? Because I wasn't there when my kid needed me the most. And God, like, you know, as a, as a parent, you, you hear your kid crying, you start to learn their cries. And I mean, 15 years later, and I feel like I can still imagine that cry that Isaac had when he was just hurt and he needed his mommy. And like, I wasn't there. And so part of that just feels like, you know, hey, these feelings are really hard and I need to feel them because Isaac had to feel them. Like Isaac had to go through all this, so I should have to too. And so I just really let myself feel it. And I, you know, kind of relied on my family for support and love and God bless them. They had me the whole way. Um, but I knew I had to keep going. And I mean, to this day, like, all I wanted was for Isaac to be proud of me and wherever he is. And I feel like, I feel like I believe in a heaven because right. When you lose a kid, you want to believe that there's somewhere else. When you lose anybody that you absolutely adore, you want to believe there's something else like hell, even with my dog, like she's in doggy heaven, right? Like she has to be. And so I, you know, I imagine that he was looking down on me and was saying, you know, mommy, like you can do this. And, and everything I have done since has been, you know, for him to be proud of me. And it's like, I want him to to just say that like, mommy, I'm proud of you. And so I just kind of kept putting one foot in front of the other. And I mean, I'm just going to keep saying thank you, mom, because she took me to, um, to like, you know, things, things like support groups. I remember we went to like some Reverend Blue Jeans or something. I don't even know what they talked about there, but it was something about child loss or getting over child loss or something. And she was trying to find resources for me, you know, and she was trying to like give me any possible support that she could. And I mean, it was just, yeah, that like trying to find other people that had been through the same thing and, and then just an insane support group of family and friends that never expected anything from me. You know, they didn't, they didn't expect me to 
<laughs> be productive or get over it. God, you hear that all the time. Like, oh, it'll get better. Like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> and there are some things in life that don't get better. You just get better at learning how to deal with them. Right. Like you get better at hiding the feelings and you get better at holding back the tears. It never feels better. It never goes away. It just becomes a part of you. And like, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, you said, um, you said you tried to get into groups and this is perfect. Cause you said you were trying to get into groups, um, where people would help, you know, someone get over the loss of a child, but like you just, your ending of your sentence was you never get over it. You just learn how to cope and deal with the tragedy, but it's not like you forget about it. Right. It stays. But I think that's also like you, you say that, you know, like, and okay. You know, this whole Chrissy Teigen and John Legend thing that just happened. Right. And I, I have not, I've not seen the negative comments. Like I said, I'm not on Facebook, on Instagram. Like I do follow Chrissy Teigen. So I actually saw it that morning. Oh my God. And my heart just broke for her. And I, I haven't seen comments, but I've heard like, you know, people saying, sharing too much and yada, yada. But it's like, oh, just Jesus Christ. They lost a child. And guess what? That happens. That is a, that happens to people. That is a real story. And they let people in on the entire pregnancy already. So it was either they get to tell their story or somebody else is going to tell it for them. And it's like, they were so brave to be able to tell their story because people have this idea that, that, you know, you just, I mean, we've been told it since we're teenagers. Like you have sex, you get pregnant, you have a baby it's all great. Like that's what happens. And you know, you, you post the pregnancy announcement and you post the ultrasounds and you post the birth announcement, but that's not everybody's story. Like miscarriages happen, stillbirths happen, infertility happens, all these things happen, but somewhere along the line, we're told not to talk about it. And it's like, I think the more that people talk about things like this, the more, people realize it's not so secretive and it's not something to be ashamed of, but it's something that we should support each other in and, and own, like it's not something you forget about. And I think especially with people that have had miscarriages, like they feel like, Oh, well, nobody ever knew about it because, you know, we're not supposed to tell people about pregnancy before 12 weeks. And so it's like, Oh, well, nobody knew about it. Like it didn't really happen. But as as anybody who has ever tried to have kids or, or has had kids, it's like, as soon as you see that positive pregnancy test, you have a life planned for this child. And, you know, it's just allowing people to like, realize that's okay to like have a life for a child it does end in miscarriage or does end in stillbirth or whatever it may be. Like, I just think that the conversations need to be happening around things like this because this is real life. Right. 
That's that's a good point. It's almost like you read my notes because I was going to bring this up because <laughs> I wanted to get your opinion on on that situation that happened this week with them because I did read I didn't read like negative comments, but I read things like on Instagram of people saying like this is too personal. You shouldn't be sharing this with the world. And you know me. I love, I think it's important to share your pain with the world because we're all living it. Like if you go on social media, it's like, I'm sorry, but you can't always be that fucking happy. I'm sorry. You can't always right. be laying on a beach. I mean, you're probably, you're half naked and you're working out at the gym. So you're probably have a lot of self-esteem issues that you're, you know, so everyone's right. got their thing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's like social media is always, you know, like, oh, Instagram versus reality. Like, everybody wants to be like, oh, things are good. Oh, things are wonderful. Blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to hear the bad things. And right. it's like, but this, like, she had shared already so much of her pregnancy journey that it's like, you know, I don't know why she shared it, but it was really brave of her to share it. And it brought light to something that normal women are dealing with all the time. Right. And it's like, who who are these people that are like, oh, that's too personal? You're not her? How are you? Well, like, how do you get too yeah, personal? Those same people are probably sharing all their entire life story on Instagram with their 145 followers. Um, right. And, you know, yesterday <laughs> I told my therapist, I was like, you know, she said, are you okay, you know, telling everybody your story and everything? And I said, you know, whenever I tell people my story, I am more <laughs> worried about how they're going to feel than how I'm going to feel telling it. And I was like, that is so wrong of me to say, but it's like, I know that they're going to feel more awkward hearing my story than like me telling it. Cause Absolutely. it's just a part of who I am. Right. Like I'm not ashamed about it. I don't feel awkward about it. Like it's me. Like this is where I've come from. Absolutely. I, you know, I feel the same way about um, being, raped as a child for 10 years, you know, at my age now, it's, it's just who I am. It's my DNA. And I talk right. about it because there could be one person out there who, because it's, it's like you said, it's part of my DNA. It's who I am. It doesn't probably affect me anymore talking about it as much as it affects someone who's listening to it for the first time. See, I can, I can yeah. so relate with that, but I feel it's so important for me because I am at a place where I can share that. And I know that it wasn't my fault and I know that I did nothing to, you know, warrant it, but there could be some one person out there who's like, I, you know, I hope one day I'm as strong as Joe and I could tell my family or I could tell this person. And I actually got yeah. those. I got a message from a co an ex coworker at the airline who sent me a message. She said, you know, I would, that same thing happened to me one day. I hope I can share my story as bravely as you. And I'm like, all right, my job's done. I made one person in the yeah. world feel like they weren't alone. And I think when like you come on and share your story, Chris, T Chrissy Teigen and John legend share their story. They're get, they're telling those people who have had that happen to them. They're like, Oh, I'm not alone. Oh my God. Someone else knows yeah. my pain. And that's what we and all want is somebody to know our pain. Right. right. And that's why I told my therapist yesterday because she was like, you know, asking me how I felt about all this and everything. And, and we were talking about it. And I said, you know, if one person feels like, oh, my God, somebody understands, like one person, that's it. That's all I want. Like, then it's worth it. Because if if my story can 
help somebody else feel connected, like I've done my job because losing a child is, oh my God. So it is, I'm pretty sure it's the worst thing that can happen to a person. I would like to not find out anything worse than that. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is, it's real fucked up. That's the only way to put it. And when I started finding other moms that have lost children, I see like, right. I started finding like my people mm-hmm. like, Oh, you know what it feels like. And it's a weird club to be a part of, but you know, no matter if that was losing a child through miscarriage or stillbirth or, you know, childhood cancer or murder or, you know, thousands of ways you can lose your kids. It's like, if I find somebody that's a part of that club, it's like, Oh, we're already connected because you survived it just like I did. Like we're here to tell this story and that's so big. And you don't feel so alone. It, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause it sure does feel lonely in the dead kids club. Did you have to say it like that? But it's true. No, it's true. It's okay. No, it no, no, no. No, listen, you're, are you like me where when it gets so, like when I feel my body starting to get overstressed about something like this, I have to throw out a joke and it kind of, it kind of <laughs> brings me down a little. And then I'm like, all right, I can move on because I felt like my head was going to pop off from like just the pressure of it all. You I mean, I-, I feel like it's just one of those things of, right, like, this is my truth. I have a dead kid. And it's just one of those, like, I'm going to own it. Like, I'm owning my story. I get to say that. It might make you feel awkward, but that's my truth. Absolutely. And we are not responsible for other people's emotions. So Clap, clap, clap. Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> now, I want to ask you this, though, because um, Josh... He was, he was, um, put in prison for like child abuse causing in the death of a child. Were you upset by that or did you want it to be like first degree murder? Cause I think it's murder, but what do it I is know? Murder. Yeah, that's, that's why it I said murder. the word. Yeah. That's what I said. Were you upset by like, that? I mean, it took two years to get him in prison because we went through so many court proceedings. So yeah, I was upset by it. I'm also upset that he's still not actually in state prison. He's like a correctional facility, right? Because you know what they do to child killers in prison, and that's, they don't want to send him there. And so, yeah, like, I mean, right? Like, the guy killed my kid. He should have to sit in prison. Absolutely. The and- whole time. Like, he admitted to it. Why are we going to court for two years when he admitted to killing my child? Yeah, what like, was that about? He, you didn't call 911. You didn't try to go to the hospital. You didn't, you didn't do crap. You just killed my child and went and watched TV. Like it, it makes no sense of how the just, just justice system works. <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But I mean, uh, the minimum sentence was 20 years. So I will be thankful that he at least got 30, but I mean, it's just messed up. But it's something that I have had to deal with. Like, what what else do I get to do? Right. Because... Like, the, the justice system yeah. doesn't see a child 
like it sees a grown person, which is really messed up because my kid couldn't even fight back. Right. So they specifically put him in like a correction facility so that he wouldn't be basically probably killed in prison. Well, that's, that's what I tell myself. I don't know if there's like not room in the prison. I don't know why, but you know, from my, from my homies back in the day that, uh, time with me in juvie that's what i hear oh and that makes sense well no that makes sense to me well i don't think it's right i think hey if you killed a kid figure it out motherfucker but mm-hmm. um yeah that's so that that right there that angers me that he was quote unquote protected in right. that in that way yeah he's he went to prison for all those years and now he's never gonna have a normal life i'm just which is gonna fantastic. say hashtag white man yeah we'll all sit, I mean, we'll really, sit, like, we'll, we'll sit on that for a second we'll sit on that uh-huh. <laughs> a hash, uh, white guy from the midwest yeah but let me ask you yeah. this though because changing the subject a little bit a lot of parents mm-hmm. that i know who have children they say if something happened to my kid i couldn't go on i would i would kill myself did you ever contemplate suicide after isaac's death Oh, I mean, you know, honestly, maybe a couple of times, but I was more, I was more like, hey, I got to stick around to my family because they can't lose Isaac and then me too. But like, I think, I mean, it's so hard because my husband already knows this, but if something happened to my child now, I think that's where I would be at. And he knows that. And I think my family knows that. And it's like the thing nobody talks about Mm -hmm. that if I lost another kid, like I couldn't go on because I don't know how the hell I got through it the first time, but it sure doesn't. I, I don't think it's possible to get through it two times. And so like, that would be asking, that would be I mean, almost yeah. too much. Yeah. And Even I mean, the and, first time and, is too much, yeah. Right. But it's like, my husband knows that, you know? And so I think it's like, my kid now is so, <laughs> like, it's surprised we don't, we don't have him wrapped in bubble wrap. Because, <laughs> you know, it's like, he's, he's a freaking national treasure over here in my family. And everybody secretly knows that, like, nothing can happen to him. Like, at all costs, we protect him. And, you know, because otherwise we're going to lose Renee. And I think it's, like, the big elephant that nobody ever wants to, like, admit. Um, but very much so. Like, yeah, there's just this, like, hopelessness when you lose a part of you. But, I mean, I will also say that after, after I lost Isaac, like, I, you know, I felt this giant hole. Of course of like I had all this love to give that I had you know I had ready for like a whole lifetime for this child and I had nowhere to put it mm-hmm. and I didn't like want to fill it with Aww. a person <laughs> and I didn't want to fill it with a person that like didn't deserve it and that's why I went into teaching because I was like who deserves unconditional love more than kids right and so 
I've always said that like my why of why I teach is because I had all this extra love to give and I wanted to give it to the right people. And like I said before, I mean, I went, I went to college, I got a unified early childhood degree to teach birth through third grade, went back and got my master's in admin. Um, I'm certified K through six now, I think. I don't even know what my certification is. And I have made my kid proud, I believe, by giving love to all the kids I have taught throughout my career. And I can honestly say I have loved every single one, even the ones that are pains in my butt. But, like, they have all gotten the love that I, like, had for Isaac. And so I feel like that was, like, kind of what drove me and, like, what kept me going was, finding a place to put my love. <laughs> right. Um, well, you are, you're, um, you're an incredibly human being. So, and I know he, wherever he is, he's so proud of you because who wouldn't be proud of you? You're incredible. You're amazing. <laughs> Let me ask you, um, and all those children that you were giving that love to, I, I, you filled, you filled in gaps where they might not be getting it from somewhere else. So Thank you for that. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, because I was a child who was unloved um, or I was loved in the wrong way. And so love, real true love that's not manipulative from an adult, children, they crave that. So so thank you for that. I yeah. appreciate that. Did you ever think I'm never going to have another kid? <laughs> that I will never, I am not even going to even dance around that thing <laughs> of ever happening again. You know, right after Isaac died, I was like set on having a kid almost immediately. Hmm, I was like, I'm going to have a kid in like a couple of years. And and I think that was just, right? Like I, I'm a mom. That's what I know now. That's what I need to do. Like, I'm just going to have another kid and that'll fill the void. And, you know, then the fog cleared and I was like, whoa, no, I'm not. And, uh, you know, life happened and opportunities presented themselves and I found myself moving away um, from home and, and going to college and getting a degree and and going down that path and everything. And um, I don't know what I was going to say because now I'm just stuck on opportunities presenting themselves. Well, <laughs> what were we talking about? <laughs> I asked you, did you go through... Oh, a, having another kid. Yes. Okay. No, that's okay. <laughs> and then... So opportunities did present themselves and then like, right. I really enjoyed my like age 21 through 28, a whole hell of a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I lived on my own. I dated people. I was working. I got into school, like all this stuff. And it was great. And I was like, you know, I dated women for a long time. And, you know, once I was like in lesbian relationships, right? I was like, I'm not going to have a kid. Like, you know, that's, I don't know. I kind of like cut that one out of my head because it was also something that younger lesbians didn't talk about. Mm -hmm. Like you didn't talk about sperm donors when you're like right. 22 in a lesbian relationship. So I kind of like, Oh no, I'm not going to have another kid. Nobody really knows that side of me, whatever. And then I got in a serious relationship with, um, I won't say her name out of her own respect for privacy, oh, yeah, absolutely. but she, uh, she, I, I just really loved her and we had a really serious relationship 
and I saw myself with her forever. Mm-hmm. And one day we had the conversation about kids, and and you know, once we started getting in like, you know, the long term relationship area of what our normal life looks like and in our everyday kind of thing, and I started like seeing, oh, I could I could see us having a kid, like I could see going through all the steps and finding a sperm donor and da, 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 and having a kid. And uh, we had that conversation and she was like, I don't think I want kids. And I was, it wasn't until then that I realized how much I did want a kid again. Okay. And it's not like I've never dated people for what is in their pants. I have dated people for <laughs> what, I love about them. Right. And, you know, so it's not like I was like, okay, I'm going to guys now. <laughs> it doesn't happen like that. But, uh, you know, I guess maybe I like started looking in guys' direction again. Cause I was like, Oh, maybe I have pushed myself away from that picture for so long because of what has happened. Like I didn't want anything to do with kids or guys or babies or, even the chance of getting pregnant. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how I got there, but when I finally realized like, Oh, I do want to be a mom again. Then it was like, I kind of started taking my, my relationships more seriously. And like, is this somebody that I would want to raise a family with? And then just, I don't know. Everything just kind of went from there. But then when I started, you know, getting into serious relationships, it was like uh, one of the first questions instead of the last of, do you want a family? And thankfully I found a man that did want a family and is a wonderful dad. So he's wonderful. Yeah. He is a wonderful guy. He is a wonderful guy. I think he likes me more now that I'm into sports, basketball, just <laughs> basketball. We even text back and forth a little bit uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, <laughs> Let's, let's, let's jump forward a little bit to your new baby. Um, your, your, your son that you have now, how, who is my, one of my favorite human beings? Cause he loves me more than he, he should. He is obsessed with me. I'm going to say the word obsessed, but he just loves, Oh, Joe. And, um, oh, Joe. oh my God, he's so cute. You know, he's the he's the best critic. When I tell a joke and he's like, oh, Joe, I'm like, I don't know if that's a good, oh, Joe, or just shut up, oh, Joe, cause he's two. So I have to be careful, but how, so with him, how are you keeping Isaac's memory alive? Because he does have an older brother. So how are you guys mm-hmm. incorporating Isaac's memory into your son's life? I mean, first and foremost, I will give a shout out right here to my therapist, Kara, who has worked with me since I was pregnant and uh, just on all things becoming a mom again. Um, But she has really like normalized it for me to involve my other kid with Isaac. (laughs) Like, I mean when we were pregnant, like we took balloons out to the cemetery that said big brother. And we told Isaac that he was going to be a big brother. Mm-hmm. And like, we have taken our kid now out 
to see Isaac multiple times and <laughs> Isaac has like like footballs and cars and stuff by his headstone. Mm-hmm. And so our kid now will always like go try to like grab them and he's like, I wanna play with this and we're like, No, that's your brother's like you have to All leave right. it there. Or you know, like we have pictures of him around the house and we we talk about your big brother Isaac and we talk you know, like we celebrate his birthday and every year on his death anniversary day uh we go ice skating and so like you know it's just it's normal to us like it might feel weird for other people when someday my kids like oh my big brother Isaac and they're like you don't have a big brother what are you talking about but like for us it's a normal conversation it's like oh that's Isaac oh your big brother Isaac oh we're gonna go see Isaac today it's his birthday you know those are just it's just part of life. Like you have a brother that's not here anymore and we recognize him, but still like the hardest thing for me is when people say, how many kids do you have? Because I want to say two, but then, right. I get into like, <laughs> where's the other one? <laughs> and then I like, do I tell them the whole story? Do I go into that? Then usually I'll say, Oh, I had a kid that was killed. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. I'm like, why are you sorry? You didn't do it that whole thing. So I still struggle with like answering that question. And I really, I really just hate how personal people get with that. Cause when I was pregnant, even people would say, Oh, is this your first pregnancy? Does it really freaking matter? Like, yeah. Why and I told so somebody once I was like, I don't know why people do it, but I remember we were in Sam's club one day and somebody said, Oh, is this your first pregnancy? And I said, no, my first one died. Good and for you. And she was like, Oh, <laughs> But I was just like, you asked, like, is that what you want me to tell you? That my person was murdered? Because that's the truth. Like, don't ask these questions if you can't handle what's going to come for the answer. Right. It's like when Ugh. somebody says, how are you today? And you're like, oh, bad things happen. Oh, I don't want to hear about it. I just want to hear about good things. Right. Because oh, I say right. that all the time. And that's why I'm glad you're <laughs> on the show. Because, you know, you even you already <laughs> said, like, when people get pregnant or when they're having a baby, it's all happy, happy, happy. But sometimes it's not, it doesn't yeah. end happy. And people need to realize how important their questions and their words are. When, you know, everyone jokes oh. about asking someone, are you pregnant? No, I just ate a lot of burritos yesterday. Calm down. You know, right. but compared to like, oh, is this your first, pre-? No, why would you even ask that fucking question? Oh yeah. And it's like now, I mean, we're in it right now. Like we have been trying to, have a baby for over the last six months and we can't get pregnant right now and when people say like oh are you guys gonna have another one it's like hey you asshole we would love to have another one but we can't get pregnant right now do you want to have that conversation because it's like people and and i've seen that before like i said oh are you guys gonna have a baby and i'm like generally asking like i don't know i don't know why i ever did it but i don't do it now but yeah, you've you told know, me not to like, ask. Why that. is it? Yeah, it's like why? Why is it even your business? It's not like just say congratulations. If they talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're gonna have a baby! It's congratulations. Like, right, like yeah. and it, yeah. Oh, just people need to just shut up and worry about themselves because it. Yeah, we have well, too much taboo around what we can and can't talk about, and and it's like. Yeah, next time somebody says, oh, when are you guys going to have a baby? I'm just like, you know what? It's funny. My uterus isn't working right now. So I'll let you know when it does. Thanks. 
Well, it's such a, it's, it's actually, if you think about it, it, it really is a crude question to ask because some people can't even have babies. Like some people, yeah. Can, and can you imagine you're like, you get married, you've been married five years and you find out you can't have kids. And then that one fucking family member, that aunt, it's always an aunt for some Ugh. reason. And she's like, when are you guys going to have babies? We can't because I can't right. get pregnant. So just eat more burritos and calm down. I don't know why I'm talking about burritos. Maybe that's, for, maybe <laughs> that's for lunch. You today. Right now? <laughs> I'm always hungry, Renee. Um, but that's so interesting. So when you, so you're pregnant with your second child and you're in therapy, how do you manage the fears that are coming with, you know, okay, when this baby hits this certain age, I may freak out. Oh yeah. I mean, like when I say shout out to my therapist, seriously, like we were talking about it yesterday of how, oh my God, how far I've come in it all. Because right, like. When I was pregnant, of course, I was worried first and foremost about, like, getting him here safely. But when he was six months old was the hardest time in his life because, one, I had only had a kid up to six months. I didn't know what came after six months. Mm -hmm. Like, that seemed unreal to me. That seemed like it was, like, some fantasy land of, like, there's not life with a kid after six months. Oh, and, God, yeah. you know, before six months, I was like, oh, my God, there's SIDS and there's like all these things that could happen. And he was a breech baby who was an emergency C-section because he didn't have enough fluid and he was three weeks early. So, like, that was a whole ordeal in itself. Mm -hmm. So I was super overprotective of him because he was so, he wasn't like really, really tiny, but he was like six pounds when he was in. So he was like in little preemie clothes. And I was like, oh, my God, I got like this little tiny baby. I have to like take care of it and nothing can happen to it. And I was so overprotective and, and <laughs> I used to tell my therapist that, um, I, I couldn't let my husband and my kid leave the house together because right. That was like the two things I love the most gone at the same time. And like, I didn't want them getting in a car accident. I didn't want anything happening to them. And I knew something was going to happen to them. So like they couldn't leave together. And I was never going to let my husband take him anywhere. And like nobody, I mean, still to this day, well, I guess now he goes to school, but babysitting wise, like really only my mom has babysat and a really close friend of ours. Mm -hmm. um, but like our kid doesn't get left with very many people. Um, and I mean, just getting him into a daycare setting alone was like, so much therapy work of, hey, it's not normal for your kid to die, <laughs> like, right? Because that's right. what it is. And since I found Isaac, um, when I thought he was sleepy, I have a lot of PTSD with like sleeping babies. Okay. So, I mean, so basically what it's like is every time I see my kid now asleep, I assume he's dead. Oh. Like, even though yeah. your brain knows, like, like, is, is it, part of, do you knows. have this, do you have this fight in your head? Like, I know he's not dead, but it's really hard for me to believe he's not dead. Right. That's yeah. exactly what happens. And I mean, I, I am one of those people that I'm like therapy, 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 like go to therapy. Mm -hmm. It works. Me too. Me too. <laughs> and this is like, that's one of the reasons why is because 
from the time my kid was born, my second kid, every time I saw him, I thought he was dead when he was asleep. And right, like newborn sleep a lot. So it was constantly being like, oh my God, my, kid, my kid's dead. Go touch him. Make sure he's breathing. Go, you know, put a mirror under his nose or like touch his foot to see if he can get him to move or something. Right. Like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> which is not even supposed to do because the new baby never sleeps. And, and yeah. Right. Yeah, another big, big uh, but so every time I went and checked on him, I was giving my brain that feel good feeling, right? Of like, oh, you checked on him and he was okay. And that felt really good knowing that he was okay. Right. So in a couple minutes, let's do that again because that felt really good. So then it like was a downward spiral of my brain going, Oh, your baby's dead. Go check on him. Oh, you checked on him. He's okay. That felt good. Okay. Hey, your baby's dead. Like over and over and over again. And so it took a lot of work on, hey, your kid is in a safe spot right now. He is healthy. He is fine. Babies don't just die. Like that's not normal. Mm-hmm. It might happen, but like that's not the majority. And so it's like, hey, he's safe. He's healthy. He's sleeping. That's it. You don't need to go check on him. And like slowly weeding myself off of that feeling so that I can look at my kid and be like, oh, he's asleep. Right. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's been a road. (laughs) Well, it's Um, definitely a journey. My brain. Yeah. Oh yeah. And it's like just from where I started you know, like, oh my God, nobody else is ever going to hold my baby. Nobody else is going to touch my baby. I'm not going to leave him with anybody. I mean, it was hard for me to even leave my kid with my husband. And that's his dad. But like, my brain told me that he wasn't going to be safe. Right. And you I, know, because yeah. because what happens when babies cry? Like, oh, it frustrates people. And what if he gets frustrated and accidentally kills our kid? And I love my husband and trust him with everything. But, like, that was a real fear for me. And he knew that. Like, and he has just loved me through it all. And he has been so supportive. And he is, like, kind of, he's kind of just, like, let me mom, you know? He's, like, you do what you need to do. And I'm going to be here to support you. And I'm going to be here to challenge your thinking. And we're going to raise this beautiful little kid. He is a good, he is a good one. You got a good one. Cause a lot of guys would have been like, would have been like, what you, you're, you, you, but you don't want to leave me, let me be with my own child. But the fact that he could understand like where you're coming from, like, listen, I love you. I married you. You know, I'd probably die for you, but I'm a, my brain wants to tell me fear, fear, man and my baby left alone and that's a hard journey that's a hard bridge to cross i mean that's not easy yeah yeah and he is i know oh he's so wonderful yes he has like been through it all with me and he has never he's never made me feel bad about it he has never i mean like you know i said that you never you never get over a child dying you just learn how to cope with it better and there are still times where i just end up on a bathroom floor crying my eyes out because I remember how bad it hurt. And it's like, he has always just come to hold me on the bathroom floor, never questioned me, never judged me, 
you know, he's just there for me and understands that it's a part of my life and a really hard part of my life. And he, you know, he questions things sometimes too of like, when our kid gets older now, how do we explain to him (laughs) their relationship? Like Isaac is not daddy's kid. Isaac is another guy's kid, but you guys are still brothers. Like, you know, like, he's like, what, do, what am I supposed to say? And I'm like, you know what, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I don't know. I'm there's sure it'll so, just be like. <laughs> there's so many more Brothers. bridges you're going to cross before that conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. The phone, oh, yeah. Probably the phone conversation. Why can't I have a cell phone? Um, <laughs> right. But, and like, that's the thing. I don't even know if he'll ask that question, right. you know, but like, that's something on my husband's mind. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting. And it, <laughs> what, what, what made me think right now when you said that was, it probably is an interesting situation because everyone is so focused on Renee and your husband's probably over there. Oh, like, yeah. Well, I have questions too. Like I have something, you but you know, bravo to him. You know, my husband and I, um, you know, we went through therapy a long time ago together at marriage counseling for like eight years. And, yeah. and, um, now we're both in, back in therapy, but we have our own counselors, right? We have our own therapist. We're not even, we're not, yeah. yeah. And he said something to me that was so shocking. Like, I never even thought of it because I have so much baggage. He maybe has like a tote bag. <laughs> I have like, I'm going on a cruise for the rest of my life. So we were talking, I was like, how do you feel about being in therapy? You know? And he's like, you know, it's great because nothing against you, but when you and I were in marriage therapy together, just learning about, you know, cause we started therapy, like we've been together 16 years. We started therapy back in like, oh, five or six or something. Cause we had nothing in common. And we were like, should we even be together? <laughs> like, why are we together? We have not. And now of course, 16 years later, we have a lot in common. But when we started, yeah. it was like, I had never been in therapy and you know, the onion started unpeeling and all my shit was just pouring out. Cause like I said, I got a lot of shit. And so when we were sitting on the call, sofa talking about therapy now, he was like, it's really a completely different experience for me because nothing against you. But when you and I were in therapy together, it was like 90% you and me just sitting there processing all the da- Cause you know, he, when we were in therapy together, I would talk, tell my story and he would be crying and I'd be like, why are you crying? It happened to me. And then our therapist is like, let him cry. So it was like this great moment of thinking, I never even thought about that. But you know, you everyone has shit to deal with. And you were in therapy with me. And how can you shine and tell your story when my story yeah. overshadows every story I've almost ever told? And you know, I keep trying to tell my husband to go to therapy, because I think you know, I tell everybody to go to therapy. But I think it's just like he can work out his own things. And I'm like, I know that it takes a lot to deal with me. So like go to therapy and get some like tips on how to deal with a crazy wife. If you need it. Oh, absolutely. And not not to say that you're crazy, but inevitably, well, you're not. Um, Did you know that people who say they're crazy are not crazy? It's the crazies who are crazy, who don't think they're crazy. But you know, even though, all this stuff happened in your relationship before he was even thought of. It did not go away. It's still there and it's your stuff, but he deals with it on a daily basis. So that's great advice. You know, he needs to go to therapy just to learn how to deal with his crazy wife. I know. I keep telling him that. (laughs) Let me, um, I have a couple more questions before I let you go. Um, Okay. First of all, 
when you picked the number, when I was in the shower and I was, I was like <laughs> mapping out how the, how this conversation was, was going to go, which I have to say, it's gone exactly how I wanted regarding the path of it. So <laughs> that's very good. But I was like, when we start with, let's get grounded, she's going to pick the number 15 because that's how old Isaac is. Oh, I didn't even think of that. And you, <laughs> and you picked 15 subconsciously. So now yeah, I have to no, think I must no, psychic. His birthday, his birthday was on June 15th. And okay. so oh, okay. 15 has always been my lucky number. And then I met my husband in 2015. And okay. so like, I don't know, 15 has just always been my lucky number. Um, but, but Isaac would yes, have been 15 yes, right now, he would now, be right? 15 this year. And it is... 15 years since he died this year, which is why, you know, 2020 sucks so bad. Because oh, it's just, <laughs> it just never ends. Okay. Let me ask you this. There's probably going to be someone out there. There might not be somebody listening to this episode that this has happened to, but there is a high probability that there's somebody out there who's listening to this conversation, who knows somebody that this possibly happened to, or some type of child abuse that ended poorly. What, would you tell someone right now who doesn't think they have the strength to get up in the morning after losing a child? Because that is the one thing that I think of you as being Wonder Woman. The fact that you were mm -hmm. 18 years old, a child whose brain's not even completely developed yet, thrusted into becoming an adult overnight. And mm -hmm. the fact that you were 18 years old and you got through that and now you're this happy woman yet, yeah, still working on the stuff, you will be working on it for the rest of your life, but you're a successful woman who has moved forward like a locomotive. How, what would you tell people who might think I can't get up, I can't do this? What would you tell them? I mean, first I would tell them your feelings are valid. Like own your feelings. Like it is totally okay to feel like, oh, I'm never going to smile again. Like that's, that's normal. <laughs> It might not feel normal, but like, that's normal. And I mean, then I would tell them to just find their people, like, you know, find their community. And as, as toxic as social media can be, there is also these, these little, you know, happy pockets of finding communities that you normally wouldn't be a part of. So looking on Facebook for groups, of people that have experienced child loss in the same way that you have, because I bet there, although I am not a part of it, I bet there is some Facebook group that's like, you know, kids that have been murdered. I'm sure. Like I'm sure there are yeah. other people out there that have gone through this in one way or another. And I'm like, I'm there's just a story in my head right now that it just recently happened here where I live of, of a little girl that was killed. And it's like, oh, Hello? I mean, her mom was, yeah, I'm sorry. What, I, my brain just went to this news story and I got stuck in it because her mom was in prison when her daughter was killed. So like she is grieving in prison. Ugh. And you know, right. People have so many things to say about that because she is where she is. But it's the bottom line is like a mom lost her kid. And that nobody can like, nobody gets to say anything about that except for her. Sure. And so it's like, I don't just, and I feel like only people that have lost kids know that. 
like know that feeling of like, <laughs> right. I don't know. I just like finding your people, whether that's people that support you and that's family or friends or, you know, finding people that have lost kids, like I said, in the same way. Just finding a little glimmer of hope that life keeps happening. And like, right, somebody on here hears this and they're like, oh, I want to drop some and say, reach out to me and talk to me because I would love to tell you that it really sucks and it's not easy and nobody really understands what you're going through but there is another side to it like you you can get through it and like you can keep going it's just very slow sometimes (laughs) it's rough it's rough you know i um i don't know this pain but i can feel and i don't even feel respectful saying i feel your pain but what i do is I can understand maybe a half a percent how painful it is. And I think, you know, we live in this world now where everyone's like, you need to understand everyone's pain. And I I appreciate that. And I think that's important to respect people's pain. But I don't want to be the guy who's like, oh, I know what you're going through. And I think that that happens a lot. And I think it's so like, don't be that guy. Do not be that person who's like, oh, yeah, I'm sure that's painful. Like, do not be that person. You don't get it. No. And but that's also why I hate when people say, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, oh, yeah, I get that you're sorry. But like, you didn't do it. So don't like apologize to me for it. Like, it, I don't know. I just hate when people say that to me. And people say all sorts of dumb things. And it's like, sometimes I just want somebody to say, like, I hear you. Mm-hmm. That's it. I don't need you to validate my feelings. I don't need you to tell me it's going to be okay. I don't need you to say something stupid like, oh, you're going to have more kids. It's fine. Oh, my God. Don't tell me. Would somebody, say that. Did somebody say, oh, see, I hate people. Oh, Yeah especially when I was like right after it happened, right. I was 18. People were like, Oh, don't worry. You're going to have more kids. Like somehow having more kids was going to fill the void of having one murdered. Like it, people say stupid, stupid things. And so, and I mean, right. Oh yeah. Anyway. So it's like, people need to just shut their mouth. And if I tell you my story, I don't need you to apologize to me for it. And I don't need you to like, make me feel better by something you're, you know, give me life wisdom by it. I'm fine. Thanks. I don't need you to tell me you understand or you know my pain or you can relate because you lost your grandma. Don't tell me those things. Just say, thank you for sharing your story with me. I hear you. I appreciate you. Wow. You're really strong. <laughs> Whatever well, that's you what I tell say. you all the time. No, um, right. But don't say dumb things. Like right. there's so many people that say dumb things. I think yeah. they say dumb anyway. things because they don't, we they are, don't know we're what programmed. We're programmed not to be able to take in negative information. So it's like we become dumb. 100%. It's like we become. Uh, right. uh, uh, okay. Well, I I, I, need know, to say I lost my grandma. She was 97. You know, I lost my baby. He was six months. Uh-huh. I win. Move on. You would be surprised how often you hear that that correlation of "Oh, I lost this person." Yeah. Well, mm, yeah. Renee, I hear you, and so do all the listeners, and we all love you. you. So, thank you so much. Thank and um, I am going to ask you one last "Let's Get Grounded" question because I am actually curious about this, and I want to leave this on a <laughs> a little bit of a 
a better, not better, no, but a little bit of a, not a Debbie Downer. Not no. where I'm just going <laughs> to crawl on the floor in a fetus position for the rest of the day. Okay. If you could have dinner with any famous person, Ugh. dead or alive, who would it be and why? And I'm asking this because I am curious of who you're going to say. So literally, I have listened to your podcast so many times. And I like I like to imagine one in the car driving like, okay, if Joe asked me this question, what would I say? And I have thought about this question so many times. And I can never decide, oh my God, I just can't decide who I want it to be. But I think I'm going to go with, oh man. It's so hard. It's, it is so, so hard. It's it so hard. hard. But yeah. you know what? Somebody who I have always looked up to, who surprisingly has every time I have a hard time in my life, somehow she comes out with a new album. And I just feel it's because like, you know, obviously our souls are connected. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> but Pink. Oh, that's good. Pink. Yeah, she's great. She she is very raw and unfiltered and I think she's a really good human and I would just I would just love to like pick her brain and you know now she's a mom and goes through all the same things all us other moms do, right? And and I don't know, I just I think we would have a really good conversation and I I would just really oh. I like that answer. That's I'd a like good to be answer. There. Yeah, she's fabulous. Yeah. She's so fantastic. And I could yeah. see I could I could see walking into a restaurant and you having lunch with Pink and me freaking out and you saying giving me the look like don't oh come God. over here right now. But you <laughs> know what? I if really happened, I would I would say the dumbest things. Like I feel like I would just sit there and say absolutely nothing. I'd be like, uh <laughs> I would just uh, no, you wouldn't. Yeah. Renee, thank I, you. I, well. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And sh- <laughs> what did you say? I don't know why I think I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Oh, God. Well, I mean, we've been talking a long time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Because I know you listen to this, and I know your son does, and you don't Ew. let him listen to the bad words. That's why he loves me. But thank you. Um, right, we listen to a PG one. <laughs> are there? Oh. <laughs> um, but seriously, thank you for coming and sharing your story. Um, and I hope I was respectful. And because that was very important for me, because this isn't just a silly conversation. And you know, I do love you. And you are the strongest human being that I know. And when I say that, I'm not just being, I'm not joking. I I really, truly believe, I truly mean that. So thank Thank you. you. Thank you, my dear. Go hug your baby for me and (laughs) tell him Joe loves him and (laughs) smack your husband on the ass and tell him Joe loves him. And I will talk to you soon. Will do. Do both of those. Okay, bye. Bye-bye, sweetheart. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode of Grounded with Joe Thomas, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can also follow the Instagram page at Grounded with Joe Thomas on, you guessed it, Instagram. Tell all your friends, and we will see you next episode.